Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. A wild past couple days. First, I mean, the weekend, Super Wild Card weekend in the NFL. Uh, pretty much every game was competitive or at least entertaining in some regards, except for maybe the Saints and Bears. Uh, but a great weekend for football. But the past couple days, drama unfolding across a couple sports. The NFL. Deshaun Watson, the Texans, that relationship has pretty much entirely crumbled to the ground, as well as Houston and James Harden. So both Houston teams facing disgruntled superstars, not a good look for them, uh, and a, a difficult situation for sure. Andre Johnson even chimed in about Deshaun Watson's situation, John Wall and James Harden not getting along, and Kyrie Irving. With the Nets, that's a whole nother, completely different situation, but still a huge problem for an organization with championship aspirations. Doug Peterson got fired by the Eagles, a move that I thought had to happen, and it did. So I think that was smart, but we can also talk about why it may not have been the best move for the Eagles, even though I thought it should have happened. We like to play both sides here. And, of course, the on Monday night, the college football playoff national championship game. All of that ahead on today's episode. But I would figure the first thing we should talk about is NFL wildcard weekend, and then we can get into everything else. The first game that was on the slate for the wildcard weekend, Saturday, 1 o'clock, Bills, Colts. Uh, I did give a little bit of prediction about what this would be. I said it would either be a blowout in favor of Buffalo or a three-point game down to the wire, and that's exactly what it was. Bills won 27-24. It came down to Phillip Rivers, Hail Mary, couldn't get it there. Uh, but there was a lot of questionable calls. Um, you you see the final score, and you're, and you're able to kind of replay things that should have happened. Frank Reich going for it uh, late into the second quarter. I think there was only about a minute and a half left in the first half. Going for it on fourth and goal instead of taking the points and going up 13-7, to he tried to... He was being aggressive, and I don't completely fault him for this. Uh, tried to step on the Bills' neck going into halftime. And go up 17-7. to They don't get it. So now you're still up 10-7. to And the Bills come driving down the field. This is worst case scenario for the Colts. They come driving down the field. And they score to go up 14-10 to going into the half. So you risk it on the fourth and goal situation. Try and really swing the momentum into your favor. Even if Buffalo comes down and scores before the half like they did, you're still up going into the half, and you still have some momentum on your side. This is worst-case scenario. You don't get it. Bills come down, they score, they take the lead going into half, and they don't give it back. Uh, they kick a field goal in the third, and then the Colts do outscore the Bills 14-10 to in the uh, fourth quarter, but inevitably that Frank Reich's decision to not take the three points at the end of the half came back to bite them in the ass. Uh, I was screaming for them to take the points. I think if this is a regular season game, 
you you live with that decision and you're fine. But uh, for me, being in the playoffs, I take the points. You're up against a very good Bills team, and I get some people's mentality, and clearly Frank Reich's mentality is you're not going to beat this team, the Buffalo Bills, by kicking field goals, which is partly true. But when you look at the final score and you look, you have to trust your defense at least a little bit, right? Like, trust them to get their stops. And they did. It was a three-point game down to the wire. And it's just that that is a decision that I think Reich got wrong. And I don't blame him. I don't think he was going any against anything that people were telling him. He is a historically aggressive uh, coach and play caller, so I don't really blame him. It's just that it's not what I would have done. I would have kicked the three points, and now obviously I can sit back here and be like hindsight twenty twenty. I was totally right uh, because the final score was only a three point game. But the, the, the Colts had several other opportunities. Um, obviously, that Pascal fumble didn't help them. I, it didn't really come back to completely ruined the game for them. Um, but it was certainly a gut punch. But the Colts had an opportunity to win this game. Unfortunately, they didn't. So Phillip Rivers out in the first round. Again, Buffalo advances. And they're going to play the Ravens, which is a game that we'll get to in a minute. The second game on Saturday night, Rams-Seahawks. I took the Rams in this game. I actually made a small bet with my friend. Rams plus three. They covered that easily. They win by 10, 30 to 20. Uh, Russell Wilson looked bad. Straight up, just did not look good. 11 of 27, 174 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. And one of those touchdowns came on just a busted play. Uh, Ended with Wilson scrambling to his left. DK Metcalf broke out behind the secondary because they collapsed in and no one was behind them. And Russ just tossed it into him for an easy touchdown. So that came on a busted play. But other than that, uh, Russ didn't look good. He struggled, man. He struggled. And obviously not all the blame is on him. That Rams defense is incredible. But this, people are whispering now, how good is Russell Wilson? Can he actually get you? To another Super Bowl. And if you really think about it, I think one of the main arguments here is what is Russell Wilson without his one Super Bowl? It's it's tough for Russ right now. Um, your running game is wildly inconsistent. Your head coach, uh, Pete Carroll, has been blessed with a lot of talent around him for pretty much his entirety of a, as a head coach in Seattle and even back when he was with USC. So it, it's a shock that the Seahawks haven't been making more of a push in the playoffs. That defense for the Seahawks, wildly inconsistent. Um, and that is with you going out to trade a huge haul for Jamal Adams. It, it didn't really seem like he made an impact at all when it came down to the playoffs. Um, in my opinion, Jamal Adams wasn't worth what they gave up. He's a glorified linebacker. That's how I feel about him. Hell of a player, but just just not worth what they gave up for him. Did they make? Did he make their defense better? 
absolutely, but just not, still not good enough. Just not nearly good enough, uh, especially come playoff time. Jared Goff, I give him credit. He just had thumb surgery coming in after Wolford gets cracked by Adams, by the way, on an illegal hit. Uh, he's lucky Adams didn't hit him with his helmet because this injury could have been way worse and also Adams probably would have been ejected from the football game. But he hit him with his shoulder pad as he was sliding. Uh, still a dirty hit, but not getting ejected for it. Uh, Walford did go to the hospital. Goff came in, played with that injured thumb, and was able to play well enough to get the Rams the win. He was only 9-19, 155 yards and a touchdown, so nothing crazy. Cam Akers had really the best game for the Rams offensively. 28 carries, 131 yards, and a touchdown for Cam Akers, who seems to have niched out or carved out his niche as the running back, the premier running back for the Rams moving forward. Uh, he had a hell of a last stretch of games in the regular season, and now his first playoff game, he absolutely pops off against the Seahawks. So, a big divisional win. We had a couple of those. Rams beat the Seahawks. They move on to the next round. Bucks washington was the night game. And the story out of this game, actually, was from the losing team. Taylor Heineke coming in. Alex Smith, who, in my opinion, I think Alex Smith needs to just hang it up. It was a great little redemption arc he had here to lead Washington to the playoffs. Uh, but he, I don't think he can go anymore. Um, but Taylor Heineke led led the football team in rushing with 46 yards on and a touchdown. A diving touchdown onto the pylon. And also... He was 26 of 44, 306 yards, a touchdown, interception, passing the football. He played with some guts, tip of the cap, and you salute him. You salute the football team. Uh, they had a good season, a tough season, a lot of pieces to build on in Washington. That defense is legit. Uh, the Buccaneers and Tom Brady put 31 on you, but it's okay. He is the GOAT. They are the Buccaneers, and you just weren't ready to compete at that level. But regardless, the defense is legit. That defensive line specifically is the real deal. Um, and, they, and they have a, a solid running back with Antonio Gibson. Terry McLaurin is a bona fide star at this point, I think. He's very, very, very talented as at the wide receiver position. Um, the only thing you're really missing is, is that quarterback. You know, you, you want to solidify that quarterback position. And unfortunately, Dwayne Haskins didn't work out for you. Um, Alex Smith it is not the long-term answer. So, unfortunately, your one huge... Your one flaw is a huge flaw with the quarterback position. Uh, but if you fill that relatively soon, you could capitalize on a, on a weak NFC East and probably come back and win a couple of more division titles. As for Brady and the Bucks, 381 yards and two touchdowns for Brady. Leonard Fournette ran for 93 yards and a touchdown. Mike Evans had 119 yards on six catches. Uh, their offense was lethal. Their defense was good. And the Buccaneers move on, as many people expected. The Sunday games. Game one, Ravens-Titans. A lot of hostility here. I think it was back in week nine. The Titans beat the Ravens on a walk-off TD run by Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry was non-existent in this game. And 
Clearly, that was the Ravens' game plan going into this. Stop Derrick Henry. Make Ryan Tannehill beat you. Didn't work. 18 carries for 40 yards for Derrick Henry. Non-existent. Again, Ryan Tannehill, 18-26, 165 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. And that Baltimore defense really cracked down in the second half. They were down 10-0 in the first quarter and ended the game winning 20-13. A tough way to go out if you're Tennessee. Um, you have Baltimore stomping all over your your logo at the end of the game. A lot of hostility there. Uh, the the game ceiling pick. Not Tannehill's fault. His receiver falls down. Easy pick for the Ravens. Uh, I think it was Marcus Peters who picked it off. But it's not Tannehill's fault. I think he played a pretty solid game. But when Derrick Henry, your best offensive player isn't doing anything, it's going to be tough for the Titans to win a football game. Lamar Jackson, first playoff win, so congratulations to Lamar Jackson. 179 yards throwing and one really bad pick, just a complete duck, and he acknowledged that at the postgame. He was like, dumbass pick. Um, He did run 16 times for 136 yards and a touchdown, and even Hollywood Brown had seven catches for 109 yards. So a good offensive day. For Lamar and the Ravens, even though they only put up 20 points, he was productive and he looked good. Gets his first playoff win, and uh, that's that's a huge, huge, huge sigh of relief for Lamar Jackson. A lot of people getting their first playoff wins. Josh Allen getting his first playoff win, uh, Lamar Jackson getting his playoff win, and Baker Mayfield, which of course is the last game we're going to get to in a minute. We'll go over this one quick. Saints Bears. It it was a it was just a. A blowout. I mean, twenty-one to nine, and that nine points. It was really twenty-one to three because Mitchell Trubisky threw a touchdown pass as time expired with Jimmy Graham making a ridiculous one-handed catch in the end zone, and then just running off the field because it didn't matter. Uh, but it was really twenty-one to three, and then that last second touchdown made it twenty-one to nine. But Drew Brees looked fine. Uh, two hundred sixty-five yards and two touchdowns on thirty-nine attempts. Had a couple really nice deep throws, 10, 15-yard-plus throws. Alvin Kamara, 23 carries, 99 yards, and a touchdown. And Deontay Harris, congratulations to the little little five foot six Deontay Harris. What a menace he was. Seven catches, 83 yards, a career day for him in his first playoff game. Uh, so good for him. Good for him. This is another game with the Bears, much like the Titans, didn't get their running game going at all. David Montgomery, 12 carries. For 31 yards. The 31 yards, okay. But 12 carries? 12. On a guy who's been lighting it up the second half of the season, going into the playoffs. He's been unstoppable. He gets 12 touches. Granted, the uh, the Saints had 17 whole minutes more in time of possession. So, dominating the football the entire time. No surprise here. Let's be real. No surprise here. The Bears kind of limped into the playoffs at 8-8, eight and eight, and they got paired up with the Saints. So worst case scenario for them to begin their playoff run gets shut down pretty quickly. Saints go marching. Last game, the shocker. Browns-Steelers. Browns laid an absolute ass-whooping on the Pittsburgh Steelers. They win 48-37. to 
Steelers ended uh, they started 11 and 0. They ended the season 12 and 5. Brutal loss for Pittsburgh. Uh Big Ben threw the ball 68 times. He set an NFL record for 47 completions. He threw for 501 yards, four touchdowns and four interceptions. Uh I, I was blown away when I saw that. 68 times. Juju actually had a good game. 13 catches, 157 yards, and a touchdown for Juju Smith-Schuster. But the real story here, the Browns, Baker Mayfield, 263 yards, three touchdowns. Chubb had 76 yards and like a 30-yard reception TD. Jarvis Landry had 92 yards and a touchdown. Uh, It started off bad for the Steelers. Real, real bad. Uh, first snap of the game, Pouncey snaps it over Big Ben's head, which is hard to do. Big Ben's like 6'5", 6'6", big dude. Pouncey snaps it over his head, goes into the end zone. Browns recover for a touchdown, and it was just all downhill from there. Uh, Steelers never recovered, and it for a second, it, it looked like the Browns were going to let it slip away. The Steelers got within, I think, 10 uh, but then they they scored a couple of unanswered touchdowns, and that that was really it. So, congratulations to the Cleveland Browns for winning their first playoff game in God knows how long. Uh, Baker Mayfield getting his first playoff win. So, Lamar, Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, all getting their first playoff win. Every quarterback left in the AFC playoffs is 25 years or younger. Baker Mayfield is the oldest. He's like 25 years and like 200 and something days old. Mahomes is 25. Lamar is 24, I think. Uh, And Josh Allen is 24. Insane. That's insane. So the league's in good hands. Obviously, you have a lot of young, good young quarterbacks who are getting their first playoff win. So it's, it's very good to see for the NFL. Four games this upcoming weekend, Saturday, Rams-Packers at 4.30, and then uh, Ravens-Bills, the 8 o'clock game. Uh, I think both of those games have a chance to be really, 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 really good. Rams-Packers, depending on the weather in Lambeau, it's going to be brick. Brick cold outside. If there's snow, that's a different story, but that Rams defense is very good. Jalen Ramsey on Devontae Adams is going to be very fun to watch. Uh, I don't... The Rams quarterback situation, even if Goff was healthy, it'd be a struggle, but the fact that he still got a a busted thumb coming off of surgery, if it's really, really cold and snowing at Lambeau, I don't know how well he throws the football. It's going to be extremely difficult offensively, I think, for the Rams. Cam Akers is probably going to get a load again. Um... But that has a chance to be a really good game. Ravens-Bills, really looking forward to that one. Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. Again, that's in Buffalo. So these two games on Saturday, chance for some snowy tundra games in the playoffs. Sunday, Browns-Chiefs, that's going to be tough. Uh, That's at 3 o'clock. Browns, you're riding high. Uh, and I would still be enjoying that if I'm if I'm a Cleveland Browns player, fan, still enjoying that, riding that high of beating the Steelers in the playoffs. Uh, but I'll say Saturday, you should probably start coming down to earth a little bit and be like, hey, we got to play the Chiefs on on Sunday. That's 
That's no walk in the park. So maybe the Browns' playoffs hopes get dashed here. But if they were to upset the Chiefs, I wouldn't hate that. I really wouldn't hate that. Uh, Buccaneers-Saints are the nightcap. Saints have beaten the Bucs twice badly in the regular season. Badly have beaten the Bucs. So, I don't think Tom Brady's ever lost to a team three times in a season. So, this is going to be... It's difficult to beat any team three times. A divisional opponent three times in the regular season and then twice in the regular season and once in the playoffs. It's difficult. So, I don't know... The Saints have the benefit of being in their dome. They don't have to worry about the weather elements of it. This is going to be a tough one. It's going to be a tough one for them to beat Tom Brady and the Bucks three times. I think they can do it, but it's going to be tough. So I'm very, very much excited for that game as well. Good playoff game so far. Only dud was the Saints and the Bears. Other than that, fun, competitive football this past weekend, and this upcoming weekend should be the same. The rest of the NFL news, let's get into it. The Eagles fired Doug Peterson. I said it should happen last week. Uh, I'm not surprised. But let's talk about it. So, the reason why Doug Peterson was fired is what a lot of people are saying is that the Eagles chose Carson Wentz Over Doug Peterson. They said, we're going to go with the franchise QB. Fire the head coach. Doug Peterson is the first head coach to get fired within three years of winning a Super Bowl since the Baltimore Colts fired Don McCafferty after 1972 season when they won the Super Bowl in 1970. So, clearly, this is a rarity. This does not happen. You don't win a Super Bowl and then fire your head coach only a few years later. It it just doesn't happen. This has been the quickest turn on a head coach that I've personally ever seen. And I think it goes deeper than Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz's relationship. I think the front office is an absolute mess for Philadelphia. And I think that should have been straightened away before anything happened with Doug Peterson or Carson Wentz. But with... Peterson being out, the the rent the Wentz trade rumors are seemingly extinguished. Uh, he should remain with the Philadelphia Eagles if this was their plan. If it really was, if it came down to Peterson and Wentz aren't getting along, who are we going to keep? They chose Wentz. They fired Doug Peterson. I don't know if that was the right move. I don't know if Doug Peterson is necessarily was necessarily the the root of the problem for Carson Wentz's struggles the past couple years. What I do know is Peterson, it seems like he just decided to burn his bridges the last game of the season uh, by doing what he did, by, by subbing in Nate Sudfeld and just pretty much throwing the game away. And I, I, it seemed like now that they fired him, in retrospect, in hindsight, it, it seems like He was daring them to do it. Say, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't care. You can fire me. I'll go somewhere else. And I do think Doug Peterson will find success somewhere else. I do not think this is obviously the end for him. He's been in the league for five years. He was the Eagles coach for five years. He's already won a Super Bowl. 
Like that just doesn't happen by accident. It's not like a fluke thing. He's a good head coach. Clearly, it was a toxic environment in Philadelphia. So I do think he'll go somewhere else. Um, there were rumors the Jets were interested in him, although they have conducted their second interview with Robert Sala, so the defensive coordinator for the 49ers. So I don't know how much Doug Peterson is a is a choice there, but he can go places. L.A. might be a destination for him with the Chargers. Uh, he's a he's a solid head coach. He's a good head coach. Uh, he's a better head coach than a lot of people in this league. I was screaming for him to get fired, and I don't go back on that. But that was only because I I knew this just wasn't the move for Philly. Like you gotta had to let him go, and I get that. But I don't necessarily think Carson Wentz is the right move either. And I think their GM's got to go too. I, I I honestly think just clean house in Philly and start over. Like that's my honest, genuine assessment of that organization. Start over. Gut it out and start over. The other news in the NFL, of course, is Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson, we ha- we don't really see this in the NFL. Uh, the way contracts are, scru- are structured, the way ownership is structured, NFL players don't really get to hold their organizations hostage like what we see constantly in the NBA. So Deshaun Watson is in a very unique situation because he has a lot of guaranteed money and he has a no-trade clause. But he doesn't want to be there anymore. He cited his discomforts with the Texans organization. He's uh, just angry and fed up with them. Um, Andre Johnson, arguably the best Houston Texan to ever suit up for that franchise. Aside, maybe J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt's probably the best at this point. But Andre Johnson is is up there. He's probably, he's one if not two. Tweets out, if I'm if I'm Deshaun Watson, tags him. If I'm at Deshaun Watson, I will stand my ground. The Texans organization is known for wasting players' careers. Since Jack Esterby has walked into that building, nothing good has happened in slash for the organization. And for some reason, someone can't seem to see what's going on. Pathetic. Andre Johnson must have had that in his drafts for years waiting to unload it when a, a franchise player had discomfort. He is he clearly does not like what is going on in that organization. JJ uh, Watt mic'd up straight up telling Deshaun Watson, I'm sorry we wasted one of one year of your career. Like I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's a mess there in Houston. And honestly, like J.J. Watt's got to go. If you're trading Deshaun Watson, please trade J.J. Watt. Like, he doesn't deserve this. Uh, He's a two-time Defensive Player of the Year. First ballot Hall of Famer. Like, the guy just straight up does not deserve to be on this pathetic franchise. He doesn't. And neither does Deshaun Watson. Uh, There are rumors now that Miami is interested and Deshaun Watson would lift his no-trade clause to go to Miami. The reason why I'd say it's unique is because if I'm the Texans, I'm asking for, like, the entire ship, right? I'm asking for everything. I, I want two firsts, a player, and, like, maybe a second or third. I- I'm getting at least two firsts and a player. 
and then you can just negotiate after that. But you got to send everything at me to get Deshaun Watson if I'm the Texans. However, because of this no-trade clause, it kind of puts them in a bind because if he wants out, he has so much guaranteed money. So if he wants out and he doesn't get his way, he could just sit. Sit on his guaranteed money and then just chill for the year. So it puts the Texans in a very difficult situation because they can't ask for the house in return for Deshaun because some teams will just say no. However, if these rumors to Miami are true and Miami is done with Tua, they don't care, they want to move on, Deshaun Watson is in their grasp, I'm trading the third overall pick this year. I'm trading the 18th overall pick this year. I'm trading Tua, and I'm probably trading either a second or a third. If I can get away with a third, I'll trade a third. All that, three picks and Tua for Deshaun Watson in a heartbeat. Won't think twice about it. The irony there, of course, is that uh, the, the Dolphins could just trade the Texans picks back and an additional first for Tua and Tua for Deshaun. Like the third, the second round pick that the Texans gave them next year's first and Tua and keep their 18th pick this year. I don't see why the Texans say no to that. It would look absolutely hilarious that the fact that they essentially you're trading the first and Tua for Deshaun. The first... Tua and Laramie Tunsil for Deshaun Watson if that were to happen. That's what would happen with the Dolphins. So Deshaun Watson wanting out, uh, not great for Houston. Not great for Houston. And in the other sports, the NBA, Houston, the Rockets, facing their own struggles. Uh, James Harden looking thick as hell. The guy put on at least 30 pounds. I mean, like, really, really, really fat. Uh, For a guard, even. Like, we've seen big men put on some weight, whatever. Like, this is a a two-way combo guard who is... I mean, he's got to be pushing, like, 220 at this point. He he is thick. And he's always been a little thick, but he's been in shape. Now it's like... It's thick. He's thick. Like, he is thick. His beard kind of hides it in his face, but... I mean, whew. I don't know, man, but, I mean, he's still lighting it up at, like, 50% effort, so who, who cares, I guess, but uh, he wants out of Houston. Uh, James Harden has straight up said, "It we are not that good, and uh, I love this city, but it's just, it's not working out, and I don't think it could be saved. Whereas John Wall, who Houston just traded Russell Westbrook for, said, when you have guys that don't buy in, it's hard to win games. Uh, he's like, I've been in situations like my first few years in league in, in Washington. A lot of the team, it was like all about me, 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 me. And when guys are like that, it's hard to win basketball games. But we're only nine games into the season. What do you mean we can't change it? You know, like there's a lot of basketball left to be played. So poor John Wall leaves the the pathetic organization that is the Washington Wizards who can't really seem to get anything right, and goes into this shit storm that is the Houston Rockets and James Harden. Him and Boogie. I feel bad for both of them. Because now they got to put up with this. James Harden's like, 
Basically, James Harden is saying, I'm playing with a bunch of scrubs. We aren't good. Please trade me. How disrespectful is that to John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, like everyone on that team? They got some talent on that team. They're not completely helpless, right? They could easily be a playoff team if James Harden just decided to play at 100%, but he's not. He's playing at like 40%. The guy just, he does not want to be there. He doesn't care. Like, And according to Stephen A. Smith this morning, uh, the Rockets are heavily considering just letting James Harden sit out until they can trade him because him being toxic with all this other, all the all his other teammates is no one wants to play with that and no one wants to watch that. So you're better off just saving face and telling him to go home, <laughs> which he'll probably pack on another 20 pounds if he does that. So I don't know. I think James Harden's plummeting his stock. It's it's really not a good look for him at all. Like this is, he's just kind of throwing his his hands up and saying, yeah, I really don't give a shit anymore. So that's a developing situation. And the other developing situation is Kyrie Irving. And again, I'm going to bring up Stephen A. Smith. Told him straight up Kyrie to retire today. <laughs> he said Kyrie Irving should retire, which is wild. But basically he's saying you can't have your cake and eat it too. Kyrie Irving has consistently undermined the media, does not believe believes he is above speaking to them and giving his thinks he is above giving anyone an explanation on what he wants to do or what he has to do. And this is all stemmed from a video that went viral of him out at what appears to be his sister's birthday party. Um, and he was he didn't have a mask, so he was breaking like NBA protocol or whatever, which is a whole nother thing that I'm going to get into in a minute. Actually, let's get into it right now. The NBA new protocol, Woj tweeted it out. It, it, I'm just going to read off this series of tweets that he has because it, it, it's, a, it's a lot. Um... The NBA and NBA PA working through a minimum two-week window of protocol tightening that includes no hugging or interaction of rival players on court pre- and post-game, reducing social interactions during games, including tapping hands during free throws. Among protocol changes now agreed upon, NBA players can no longer interact with non-team guests at road hotels. Sources tell ESPN players were allowed to have guests in rooms, but that is no longer the case. At home, players and team staff must remain at residence except to attend team-related activities and facility, exercise outside, perform essential activities, or the occurrence of extraordinary circumstances. Uh, on the road, players and staff can't leave the hotel except for team activities or emergencies. Uh, for minimum of next two weeks, pregame meetings and locker rooms are limited for 10 minutes with masks on. All other meetings with players and team staffs must be on the court or a larger space to allow six feet of social distancing. Any player who regularly visits the inside the home of a team staff member or player for professional purposes must undergo COVID testing twice per week. Leagues mandating increased mask wearing for players in games except for cool-down chairs arranged at least 12 feet from the bench and 6 feet apart. Players can go there immediately after leaving court during game but must return to regular seat on bench wearing a mask. Essentially, uh, you can't do shit. (laughs) That is the NBA saying... Play your games, go to your hotel room, and stay there. If you're the home team, play your games, go home, and stay there. It's wild. Uh, George Hill said 
I'm paraphrasing, but he said, I'm a grown man. Um, I've, I'm, I'm going to go home and I'm going to do what I'm, what I want. I'm going to be safe about it, but I'm not going to just go home and, and stay in my room with the door locked. Um, and then just go and play basketball games. Because uh, if it's that serious, if, if it's gotten to this point where the NBA is essentially telling you, go play basketball and then go home, maybe we shouldn't be playing. That was George Hill's point. Um, it, it, he has a point. It, if it's gotten this serious, games are being postponed left and right. Um, so it, it has escalated for sure. Uh, for the NBA, and they are—they seem to be really hitting a rough spot here with getting their games played on a regular basis. And if Kyrie is sitting out because of that, then, you know, understandably so. He doesn't want to get COVID, fine. But when you're out and about in a family setting like that, unless everyone has gotten tested prior to that party, but we wouldn't know that because Kyrie doesn't want to speak to anyone about it. So, back to what Stephen A. was saying. Kyrie can't have his cake and eat it too. He can't not explain himself. He can't not explain himself and then expect everyone to just understand and trust that what he's doing is the right thing. His heart is in a good place. He has been very outspoken about his fight for social reform and uh, his fight against injustices, police brutality, and all that. He has been very vocal about that, and I commend him for it. Obviously, it is a fight that is worth fighting. Of course it is. The problem stems from the fact that it is his job. And Stephen A's point is that you can't expect to just not show up and not suffer any consequences. And he believes that Kyrie's heart is no longer in the game of basketball. So he should just retire and and focus on everything else that he's doing. I think that's a bit much. Um, I think, in my opinion, if Kyrie were to be doing all of this, if he just, if he was just able to justify it, come down to earth a little bit, meet people halfway, and release statements or something to communicate to his I, I again we don't know if he's communicating with uh Steve Nash his teammates and the the Nets front office and and communicating with them behind closed doors we don't know so if, if that's the case then that is one thing but if he is just shutting anyone out and like the Nets don't know where he is his teammates don't know what's going on. The the media, the public don't know what's going on. Like, that's what you signed up to do. You signed up to be a professional basketball player. You're making 30-something million dollars this year. You can't just expect to get all that money and not answer for some of the decisions you've made. Um, so just to be as, like, ominous as he is and to be in the dark like he is without telling anyone I I get what he's saying there's the one side where it's like his business off the court is his business and I understand that but when you're not doing your job 
and then you're out and about celebrating like family birthday parties or whatever. And then you don't tell anyone like that in the real world. If, if, if you, if this is the real world and, and this is like a, a normal nine to five job and not a professional basketball player getting paid $35 million, there are, there are consequences. So I think that is the real issue here is that it just doesn't seem like Kyrie really cares if there are going to be consequences or not. It seems like he thinks he's above explaining himself, which, again, I cannot overstate how I I understand where Kyrie is coming from. He doesn't owe anything to anyone. I, I get that mentality, like... His personal life is his personal life. He shouldn't have to explain anything to anyone. But also, he is a professional basketball player. Like, you're getting played millions and millions of dollars to play a game with thousands, if not millions of people investing their time into you. It's just, it's 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 a head-scratching situation, for sure. And I, I don't know how long... Kyrie can keep riding the ship before people just completely, if people haven't already turned on him already, a lot, a lot, a lot of people have turned on him already and saying it's, it's ridiculous and, uh, you know, childish that he's doing what he's doing, but I, I, I see both sides and it's just really, it's a, it's a delicate situation, but it's also, it, it's mind boggling. It, it really is. All right, last bit of football we got going on is Monday night, the college football playoff championship game, Alabama, Ohio State. Bama Bama smoked Ohio State. Um, It it wasn't even close, and that's unfortunate. Um, I was hoping for a tight game. I thought after Ohio State's uh, win against Clemson that, we might see a competitive football game and that they could they could seriously challenge Alabama but unfortunately that was not the case. Bama rolls 52 to 24 and a couple of shining stars in this game. On the defensive end, Patrick Sertain, Sertan, uh best cornerback in college football by many people's standards. That defense played out of their minds. Justin Fields, I don't know if his draft stock really took a hit or not. Uh, he played so out of his mind against Clemson that I really don't think anything he he could have done against Alabama would have sunk or... Unless anything short of beating Alabama, I don't think it affects his draft stock. Um, of course, if he if he won, he would have been... He would have went skyrocketing to probably would have been the solidified number two pick uh, behind Trevor Lawrence. But... Other than that, Bama's got four guys, five guys that could go in the first round. Sertan on the defensive end uh, as a defensive back. Offensively, Mac Jones, Devontae Smith, Jalen uh, Waddle, and Najee Harris all could go in the first round. Like, this is a stacked Alabama team, and... It's one that a lot of people were questioning. They went undefeated, of course. But a lot of people were asking, is this the best Alabama team that we've ever seen? Now, we've seen a lot of really good Bama teams. Uh, I don't know if this is the best 
but they they if they're not the best, they come pretty damn close. I mean, these guys are Jalen Waddle was considered to be the better receiver. And he barely played this year. And Devontae Smith won the Heisman. So there there are a couple guys now that that you can look at. I think Devontae Smith has, if the Dolphins were to not trade for Deshaun Watson, I think Devontae Smith is their guy. Um, He's 6'1". Skinny guy, he's like 175, but he'll put on weight. You bet your ass those strength and conditioning coaches in the NFL are going to make him put on some muscle. Um, and once he does, oh boy, because he he is fast as hell, 6'1", long arms, long strides. Like, if this guy puts on 10, 15 pounds of muscle, oh man, he's going to be a problem. Uh, and even if he doesn't, I think he'll still be a problem, but that's besides the point. I think he goes number three. Najee Harris might go anywhere from like 15 to 25. I think he's a first-round pick. Probably the best, if not the second best, running back in the draft. Um, He has good hands as a receiver and, of course, is just got big-ass legs and can run over pretty much, run or jump over anybody. Jalen Waddell, draft stock might have taken a hit this year uh, because of the injuries, but still a a mid-first-round pick, probably teens in my opinion. And then Mac Jones has a chance. Uh, Someone might reach for him and take him earlier than maybe they should, but he, he, I mean, he's got, he's got some good looks, man. And this is obviously Alabama is historically known for not really producing very good quarterbacks uh, because the rest of their team, their defense is so stacked usually. And they got, um, Pretty much every, they either have like an insane running back or insane receivers that make the quarterback look way better than he is. But Mac Jones is the is the first one in in years, really, where I can pin him. Like people are saying, like he he could be like a good quarterback. He could be a first round pick, early second round pick. Like this this is a guy who is a legitimate starting quarterback or could be a legitimate starting quarterback in the NFL. And I don't remember the last time Alabama has had a quarterback coming into the draft that scouts were like, you know what, this guy is the real deal. Because usually, like I said, they either have like Mark Ingram, Derrick Henry, Amari Cooper, Julio Jones, Najee Harris, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell. Like, all these guys have been insane. Insane players. Trent Richardson, like insane college players. And the quarterback has really only had to be a game manager who throws like 20 times a game for 150 yards because his running back would run for 200 yards. Or like he he just make like a quick slant route, throw a quick slant route to Julio Jones, throw a quick slant route to Amari Cooper, throw it up to Devontae Smith and just let him go get it. And these guys would make the plays for him. Uh, but Mac Jones is the, is the guy here that really seems like he has some serious NFL potential. And uh, might even be, after winning this national championship so convincingly, I mean, he threw for 464 yards and five touchdowns. Absolutely shredded the Ohio State defense. Shredded, like, non-existent. 36 for 45, 464 yards and five touchdowns. 
Najee Harris, 22 carries, 79 yards, and two touchdowns. Devontae Smith, 12 catches, 215 yards, and three touchdowns. Like, they were just unstoppable. Ohio State might as well, their defense might have not, might as well not even showed up. A 50-burger in the national championship game. So, Mac Jones, I mean, that completion percentage, that yardage, throwing for five touchdowns, that's not a fluke. That's not, your guys are, are doing everything for you. You know, that's him slinging the ball around the field wherever he wants. So I think his draft stock went up. He'll probably be, I think Justin Fields is still the second quarterback taken behind Trevor Lawrence, but Mac Jones might very well be the third quarterback taken in this draft. He may have jumped over Zach Wilson. And obviously there are a few other, Ian Book, Kyle Trask, like these guys are entering the draft. I don't know where they're going to go, but Mac Jones, for sure, draft stock, I think, if anything, it had to have gone up. Like, I really I really think he'll be the third quarterback taken. Uh, minimum? Listen, it, it, it's either he goes before Zach Wilson or after Zach Wilson. Like, right after. There, there's, he's not going to be the fifth quarterback taken in this draft. He'll either be the third or the fourth. So the last bit of news I wanted to, to cover up here on the on the podcast. Um, this Tiger Woods documentary on HBO is weird. Like, just, just flat-out bizarre. Uh, it was only part one on Sunday night. But it, it was just, it was just the angle that they took. Like, normally I like HBO documentaries, and I, I know, like, usually whenever they cover something, it's uh, something that's dark or, or gritty, or even with sports, it's, like, something that was, like, controversial or whatever. And I get that's what they were going for here with Tiger Woods and, like, his downfall and his sex addiction and all that shit. I, I get that. And I understand that, but it was, it was so weird, like just so weird. Uh, they had his, his ex-girlfriend from high school on there. He probably hasn't talked to her in 20 years and she's on there like talking about like how close they were and she loved him and like they, they had such a great relationship. Uh, I don't know. It, it was very Odd. Like, she was a huge part of it, too. And then this other dude who said that for a, a handful of years, he and uh, Tiger Woods' dad were the two most prominent male figures in his life. I was like, holy shit, buddy. Really patting yourself on the back there, huh? Like, god damn. Tiger probably hasn't talked to him in 10 years, 15 years. Like, it was, it was really weird. It was really weird, and they were talking about um, Tiger Woods' dad, like, bringing chicks back and banging them in a Winnebago while, like, Tiger was was playing golf, like, when he was younger. It was, it was really weird. Like, this dude's openly admitting, like, talking about how when he was married, he was cheating on his wife. Like, <laughs> it, it was, it was bizarre. It was just really bizarre, and it, it felt gross. Um... 
yeah, I don't know, man. It, it just felt really, really weird. And there's a part two coming out, and I guess the girl that, or one of the girls that Tiger Woods was cheating with is, is on it. So I can't imagine it's going to feel much cleaner than that. I, I don't know, man. Um, Yeah, I, I just wanted to talk about that for a minute just because if you saw it, I, I think you know what I'm talking about. It It's really just uh, an odd documentary. And again, I'm usually all for HBO docs and the the darker storylines that they that they look at or uh just what the documentaries are about, but this seems like a stretch. You know, Tiger Woods is back. Um he is successfully co-parenting his his children with his ex-wife and He's he's kind of back into everyone's good graces. Everyone loves Tiger Woods again, right? This is this is a guy who he won the Masters last year, uh, and or I guess two years ago now, 2019, he won the Masters, and he is he is celebrated by everyone, and everyone loves Tiger Woods, and this just seems like a weird timing to kind of dig up everything that everyone already re- already knew about. Everyone everyone knows about the sex scandals. Everyone knows he was cheating on his wife. Everyone knows that, you know, he lost sponsorships and he kind of, he really, he really fell into a, a bad way there for a while. And even when he came back, like, I hope that the documentary highlights the fact that he came back and he was, he was injured and he had back problems and he really dug himself up and redeemed himself. I, I hope they highlight that fact. It can't all just be about the sex. It can't. <laughs> like, it, it would just be so uncomfortable if it was. Part 2 airs on Sunday, so we'll see how much they go and... and I don't know, man. I, we'll see how far they go into the the cheating thing and, and how much they really play on this chick that they brought in. I don't even know what she's going to say, but, oh, man, I, I don't know. It just seemed like a very weird, weird timing to to bring this this documentary out. I don't know, man. It just seems really weird. Not HBO. It doesn't seem like it's HBO style, you know? All right, I just wanted to get that off my chest, but part two airs on Sunday, so who knows? Maybe I'll be back here next Wednesday talking about something different, but... That'll do it for this episode of From My Point of View. So thank you all for listening. Divisional round of the playoffs, the NFL playoffs this weekend. Should be a good slate of four games. Uh, So enjoy that, and I will talk to you all next Wednesday. Shut up. Always on the line.